Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. Today is an interesting day. We're in between series today. Last series that we did was called Everyday Faith, uh, Faith for the Everyday, and we looked at this book in the New Testament called James. Next week, we're going to start a brand new series leading up to Easter, and uh, we're excited about this series. We're excited about Easter this year because as a church, we're going to be celebrating Good Friday as well which we've not had the privilege of doing because typically we've been in rental facilities and they never let us have those facilities. But since we own our own building, we're going to do Good Friday this year. And we're actually going to be doing it in Exeter as well, which is fantastic. We're excited about the Good Friday services in both of our locations. And then obviously Sunday with Easter celebration. I hope that you will be thinking about someone that you want to invite with you to be part of that celebration weekend. Today is interesting, as I mentioned, because we're having communion. We're in between these two series. And we decided to do communion, and every time we come up to a communion service, I find it um, interesting for us as a church, because it is something that Jesus has asked us to do. It is something that he has set in play for us. But I also understand the value that we have as a church to give people room to journey at the pace that they feel comfortable with when it comes to faith, which means this. There are going to be some of us in the room today or even watching online that maybe are not at a stage where communion is personal for them. Communion is something that yet you see and observe from the outside, but it's not something that is for you. And so we're you know, extending this idea to you that if you are not comfortable in participating in communion today, don't, because we don't want you to do something that's not personal to you, that's not real for you yet, and that's okay. And so you can watch, you can observe. And what's really good about today, though, is this. If you are a person who has been exploring or you've been seeking or you have been on an expedition to find answers to life and faith and and maybe you're almost there you're like this whole Jesus thing I'm like so close (laughs) today could be the day where you actually make that decision through communion because we believe that communion the the wafer which is representing the body of Jesus and the juice which represents the blood of Jesus is the single most greatest illustration of the good news of Jesus And so we would believe today that if you chose to say, you know what, I'm going to participate in this, and you're going to make that decision today, and you're going to internalize this person of Jesus Christ, and the image and the idea of what he did for you on the cross can become personal. So today could be the day. Like you say, March 20th, 2022, you know, this could be that day. But I also recognize that there are some of us, we need this to be realigned, You've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. And I'm convinced that Jesus set communion in place very strategically for us for many reasons. But one of them is because we wander and we meander at time in our faith and we need reminders. We need reminders of these moments. It's like an an anniversary of some sort. It reminds you of something. And so this idea of communion is to realign you. And so maybe today that's for you. 
you're already a follower of Jesus, but yet you've forgotten a bit about the price that was paid for your freedom. We just sang, hallelujah, I'm free, right? And it's like, oh, that's, that's just a reminder today. And so my hope is, is that this will realign some of us. Amy is uh, here today. Amy's uh, one of our hosts on Sunday morning, and she's actually going to be co-teaching with me today. And Amy and I are going to look at communion through the lens of the bread representing unity and the, the juice representing belonging. And we're going to unpack that for us today. We're going to talk about that today and what it means for us. But before we get to all that, I, I want to read for you from Matthew chapter 26, this moment where Jesus took something familiar and made it new as, we, as he was celebrating the Passover from Matthew chapter 26. Let me read it for you. It starts at verse 17. It's not going to be on the screens. I'm just going to read it um, this morning for us. Now on this first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will find the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. Down to verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's pray together. God, we come into this space or we watch online today and we are at all different stages of understanding the truths of the good news of Jesus Christ. And Father, today in your goodness, you have given us this beautiful example of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And even though for some of us it's confusing and for some of us it's so sweet and beautiful, I pray that you would meet us, each and every one of us, where we find ourselves today in our journey. That you can take this powerful meal and make it come alive. Father, thank you for this deep, deep love that you have for us that was demonstrated through the person of Jesus on the cross. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So my name is Amy, and Ron uh, mentioned that he asked me to share a little bit about the bread this morning and its symbolism of unity. And I'm going to sort of echo what he said, that maybe this is your first time taking communion, Or maybe you're still a little hesitant about the whole thing, um, still exploring and growing in your faith and and, and figuring out what that means for you. And so our prayer this morning is that we can hopefully bring some understanding to the beauty and power that this represents. I know it's kind of like in a little funny plastic cup, but it really is a beautiful thing that it represents. Or maybe you've participated in communion many times before. And what I love about God's word, I love the Bible, because it's always fresh, it's always new, and it always brings us back, like Ron said. Sometimes we need to remember what we're coming back to. And it always has the power to nourish our minds and our spirit. So if you're choosing to participate in communion this morning and you have your little cup, I'm going to invite you just to prepare and get ready. Then we can just kind of go with the flow. So there's like a little like 
tab on the top. You're not going to open the big one, the light one on the top. Yeah. I can hear you guys are doing a great job out there. <laughs> Just to expose your bread. Not really convinced this is necessarily bread, but this is what it represents today. So let's begin by rereading some of what um, Pastor Ron has already read this morning in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, which says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now before we jump into what Jesus is really saying here, because I truly believe that every single word that Jesus used was intentional and significant, I want to talk about the bread itself. Jesus and his closest friends here, the disciples, were celebrating the Passover meal together. And this was a ceremonial meal that commemorated how God moved in a powerful and supernatural way to bring his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in which they were living in Egypt. Tied in with this Passover celebration was another feast that was also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And in preparation for this, each household was required to move every, remove every single bit of yeast from their homes. Now, remember two years ago, and I know maybe a little PTSD comes in there, but remember two years ago when you went shopping and maybe you are a baker and you went looking for yeast and yeast was not to be found anywhere. The shelves were bare because for some reason, whether you had baking experience or not, everyone seemed to be making an attempt of making bread in an attempt to also like keep some sanity as we were staying home. But that yeast had become such a precious commodity. And when you found it, like you bought it, I don't bake a lot with these, but when I saw it, I snagged it because I'm like, well, what if I decide to one day? Um, but in the Bible, yeast actually represents sin and it's often used as an example of sin. And so when we think about what yeast does, when we put it in something and we put it into a mixture, put it into that dough, it causes it to create some sort of separation, right? It kind of bubbles up, it allows it to rise, it puffs up your your loaf. And I mean, even that image right now, I'm kind of like, mm, that sounds good. <laughs> and yet as this representation of sin in our lives, it does a similar thing inside of us, right? It creates separation between us and God. It puffs me up thinking, well, I know I got this. But from the beginning of creation in the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were intentionally created to have relationship and unity with God. They were created to walk in the garden with him, to talk with him. But as we may know, the count goes, sin, the choice of taking our own path over unity with God, totally ruined that. So this feast, of un this feast festival of unleavened bread, yeast was to be physically removed from the home as a representation, as a symbol of how we need to remove sin from our lives in order to walk in full unity with God, with Jesus. Now I think about my own home in that situation. So the big stuff will be easy to remove. I got a loaf on my counter right now, give that a toss, maybe some buns. If I had hamburgers on the menu, give that a toss, boxes of cereal. But realistically, I have two kids. And so in order to actually remove every single speck of yeast or leaven in my house would require pulling apart the couches, getting the vacuum out, just <laughs> bustering all the corners. I like the last because it knows, okay, I'm not alone in that. My couch is like terrifying underneath there. And by extension, my car. I mean, I, maybe that's a stretch, but my car would need a lot of help. The kids' seats removed, the mats removed in order to get every single bit of yeast. And even talking about this completely overwhelms me right now to think about having to do that. 
But isn't that a beautiful, beautiful illustration of how we need Jesus to come into our lives and to find those little pieces and remove all those tiny pieces of sin we may have inside of us that separates us from him because we are meant to be in unity with him in a close relationship and not letting anything create space between us. So let's go back here and take a closer look at Jesus' simple, profound words and actions here. Jesus takes the bread, he blesses it, and he breaks it. It's part of a whole, but everyone at the table gets a piece of it. His first statement here he makes is, take. And I looked up the definition, this is going to blow your mind, it means to take. But this word actually emphasizes an assertiveness of the receiver. It takes action on my part to take. This word is also used within the context of marriage. When a man or a woman says, yes, I take you as my spouse, they are intentionally and actively choosing to have unity with that person, choosing to walk and do life together with that person. And Jesus' second statement here is to eat. I don't know about you, but I don't need to be told twice to eat. But he does give that instruction. And of course, when we look at that word, it does mean to devour and consume. But to have a full understanding of this definition, they actually give an illustration of rust. So if you get a spot of rust on your car, you tend to go in a bit of a panic because rust will just consume your vehicle, right? It becomes almost one and it is almost impossible to remove. So while that maybe is a negative image, this talks about the unity that we can find with God. The third statement he makes here is that the bread represented his body. And that word body, yes, does mean a physical body, but it also is used figuratively in the Bible as the body of Christ. And not long after this meal, we would see Jesus' body physically beaten and bruised and suffer greatly for us. But later that evening, before he's arrested and after this meal he's had with his disciples, he prays in a garden. And one of the many things that he prays was for believers, like maybe you and me, to be made one just as God the Father and Jesus were one. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 to 17 says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not the participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not the participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, and we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. We are called as believers in Jesus to be one. And as I read that verse, I see the unity that God created inside of us to have with him and with one another. So I think we really need to be on our guard and not to allow that yeast or that sin to create separation with one another. Just as we are to have unity with God by extension, we must have unity with his body, the church, who we do life and have community with. I may even dare say that unity with one another and with God are so tightly connected that in order to have true unity with Christ, we must have unity with one another. Now, this was a hard pill for me to swallow as I was preparing and thinking about these truths because we've just come out of an incredible season of division. I know personally over the last two years, I have allowed myself to fall prey to lies that were intended to cause division making assumptions about people and actions, not always handling conflict in the best way. And maybe you found yourself in that space too. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul encourages us to walk in humility and in gentleness with patience and to bear one another in love and to be eager. I'm going to repeat that again. Eager 
to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He emphasizes once again that there is one body and one spirit. So as we emerge from these last two years, there is a dying and broken world out there that is in desperate need of a church united with one another and with Christ. So we're going to partake here together in a moment, and I'm going to encourage you to pause with me and think about your own life, the people in your life, and the people that you do faith with. The first church was constantly encouraged to break to continue breaking bread together as an act of intimate friendship, that having a meal with one another. Unchecked sin brings separation not only between us and God, but between our, our fellow friends, our, our believers. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So maybe there's unchecked pride or an attitude you've had towards someone that you need to repent to God about. Or maybe there's something that you know that you've done to a family member that has hurt them and you need to ask their forgiveness. Maybe there is unforgiveness that you've maybe forgotten about or pushed down inside of you that you might be holding towards someone even specifically in the context of church community. Right now is actually a perfect time to extend that forgiveness. And maybe you can't seem to figure out why you don't feel connected as much as you'd like to with Christ and with the church. Ask God in this time to reveal any sin that may be overlooked right now in your life, preventing you from experiencing this true unity that's available. And we don't have to have it all sorted out immediately. But God is incredibly patient to walk with us as we take steps with the help of the Holy Spirit. I don't think I can expect to be in unity with Christ without walking in unity with his body, the church. So let's take a minute here to reflect on the bread, representing Jesus' broken body for us, providing a way for unity with God and with each other. And this time we can ask Jesus to expose any sin that may be causing separation and confess that to him today. So if you just want to pause with me. Jesus, I thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made on the cross for offering your body to be beaten and bruised on our behalf. Thank you for the unity that you offer and you desire to us to have with you and one another. And Father, just continue to expose those things inside of us and bring us to that place of repentance so that we can experience the fullness of unity and relationship with you and one another. Thank you, Jesus. You can partake now. Amy, I want to say uh, thank you for guiding us into that moment. Um, I was kind of unprepared for what was going to happen to me, actually, when you made us reflect on areas of our own lives. And um, I don't mind it when it happens to other people, but um, yeah, I realized I had some unforgiveness in my life, and you led us to that place, and God used that powerfully. So I hope that that was meaningful for you, and I feel like I got some work to do. We're going to look at the juice that's in the little cup that you're holding, or maybe at home you've got some juice prepared. The juice is going to represent the blood of Christ, and what we're going to see and talk about is this word, belonging. To look up the definition for belonging, you find out that it has a form of ownership to it. So, for example, my Bible I have in my hand today, it belongs to me. 
If you were to find it lying around the building somewhere here in Poplar Hill, you would open it up and my name would be in the front of it. And you go, oh, that's Ron's Bible. That belongs to him. The word belonging also has this idea of being attached or bound by birth, allegiance or dependence. I can remember when our two boys were born. Our first one was born in 1993, and our second one was born in 1996. And I can remember those days very clearly, as my wife can also probably remember those days clearly. <laughs> Just a little bit. The first one was a bit, had some issues. Um, not him, but just, sorry, I should have clarified that. Um, it still does have issues, I guess, doesn't he? Yeah. He's watching at home in Exeter uh, right now. I, I, I'll never forget watching this incredible moment of these little ones coming into this world. If you've ever had the privilege of being there to watch a child being born, it is truly a miracle. It is powerful. I'll never forget when the nurse wrapped them up and handed them to me. I remember looking down at this little, these little ones, and I remember thinking to myself, what one is, what have I gotten myself into? The second one was, this little one belongs to me, to us. This is our son. They belong to us. This is an example or a demonstration of our union in marriage. It's a, an example of our love, but also to realize that us flows through this child, but also to recognize that they belong to a generation of families. They could do a search in ancestrywhatever.com and they could discover what their ancestors were. And so they belong to generations and generations before them. These little ones were ours. Yes, to a degree they're on loan from God, but that's another conversation for another time. But they belong to us. They would eventually forge their own lives, which they are both doing, and it's exciting to watch. As I consider the juice that represents the blood of Jesus, I recognize that there is a direct link to something that Amy talked about just a moment ago that is connected to God's people being in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. See, God's people were intended for a promised land, but they found themselves in slavery for four, almost 400 years. And God responds to their plea. I mean, 400 years they pleaded with God to show up. And after 400 years, he shows up. If you ever feel like God doesn't show up when you want him to, just think about this, 400 years. God moves in Moses and Moses and Aaron and Miriam. They become the leadership team that leads God's people out of Egypt. But they come up against opposition because Pharaoh doesn't want anything to do with this. Moses goes to him and says, let my people go. It's that famous line, right? Let my people go. And Pharaoh stands in the way. And you, if you know or are familiar with any bit of the story from the Bible or even from the movies, you, you recognize that there were 10 plagues. And these 10 plagues represent God hitting at the 10 small G, or, or small G gods of Egypt. And you can look deeper into that at another time. But the last one was what we refer to as the Passover. The Passover was connected to the death angel that would eventually kill the firstborn child of every home. 
It's a bit of a confusing moment, actually, in the Old Testament that would need deeper unpacking, but we don't have time to do that today. But it was a moment when the death angel would take the life of the firstborn child of each home. But here's the thing. God set it up that the families were able to take an unblemished lamb, they were to sacrifice that lamb, and they were to take the blood and they were to put it on the doorposts of their home so that when the death angel showed up and saw the blood on the doorpost and above the door, the death angel would pass over that home because the recognition was this, that that home belonged to God and that God belonged to them. There was ownership. The blood on the doorpost was the evidence of the people belonging to the one true God. The blood on the doorpost was a clear statement that we are God's. God actually spoke to Moses about this in Exodus chapter 11, verse 7, where he says it was going to be the distinguishing factor between God's people and the people of Egypt. See, when you begin to do some unpacking of this, you recognize that Egypt was actually a picture of the world, a picture of the world in the sense of the systems and values and beliefs that run contrary to God. And so God's people faced that in Egypt like we do today. But what we recognize in this moment when the blood was applied to the doorpost was that they were setting themselves apart from the world as something that was different. This is an incredible moment, a powerful moment, where we recognize the depth of what it means to belong to God. So Jesus is with his disciples, right? And, and he's celebrating the Passover. And he, and he does this most unusual thing. Not only does he take the bread and he breaks it, he takes the wine and he begins to redirect them. He helps them understand that the wine is represented of something bigger than themselves. That yes, there's going to be a reflection of looking back and celebration of that, but he's also now saying it is going to be my blood, my perfect lamb of God blood that is going to be shed, that's going to be poured out for the payment of sin. So that there would be true ownership not applied to the doorposts of our homes, but applied to our lives. He takes this juice that represents his blood and he holds it up. He takes this wine and he holds it up. We'd use wine, but it's not 12 o'clock yet, so we're just gonna use juice here. I know you're thinking it's 12 o'clock somewhere, but not yet. See, what Jesus does is he takes us to that place, he takes them and us to that place where we look at this through the lens of belonging, that when a person by faith embraces the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, through, through uh, the, the forgiveness and grace of God through the person of Jesus Christ and applies it to our lives, we realize that we are set apart, we belong to God, we're set apart from the world. I love what Matthew 20, 28 says. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, he gave his life as a ransom for many. See, I want us to recognize this. Amy acknowledged the fact of sin in the garden, and sin is something that needed to be paid for. And the ransom was the price that Jesus paid with his life, with his body and his blood on the cross, so that we might be ransomed to a new ownership to a place of belonging and forgiveness and grace so that the chains would be broken free from our lives so that we might be free. You may have caught it when I read it at the beginning of of our time together 
in the early reflection that Jesus actually referred to this as the new covenant. The old covenant system was based on the shed blood of, of um, goats and bulls, and it was a repetitive thing that they would do. Jesus steps into the moment, and he's saying, I am going to complete that and fulfill a new covenant that is sealed with my blood. Hebrews 9, 14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This is such good news. It is such good news. Because we recognize that in and of ourselves, we cannot transition our ownership, our sense of belonging on our own. He refers to that as these works are as they are dead. But yet, when we apply this truth to our lives, we can go, I'm under new ownership. I belong to the one true God. I was thinking about this as we were even singing this last song together, I began realizing that a sense of belonging takes us to that place where we realize that Jesus actually looks at those who have by faith applied this to their own lives, where Jesus looks at us and he says, she belongs to me, he belongs to me, they belong to me, they are mine. And when we recognize this sense of belonging, it takes us beyond just our own individual lives. It takes us to that place where we recognize that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. We're part of what Jesus initiated was the fulfillment of the church emerging as the body togetherness, emerging to be a light in the darkness. So we recognize that the price that was paid isn't just something personal. Yes, it is. But it is something also communal. It is within the context of community that we experience within the family of believers. I, um, this morning, in our, you don't see some of this stuff in the pre-service. Before you show up, we have rally times. We meet downstairs and we pray together, all, all, all serving teams. And Lisa, our children's, our family ministry director, she led us through a, a, a moment where we recognize that we're not just serving and doing a task. We're actually part of a family. We're not just a community. We're a family. And the invitation to belong to something greater than yourself happens within the context of the family where there's celebration and joy and grief and pain and sorrow, and we come together, this is the price that was paid. So can you imagine like what this does to someone when they recognize the sense of belonging? It says, okay, that means this. It means that this price that was paid is no longer just about me personally, but it's corporately. But then I realize that all parts of me become part of the belonging. Every part of what I am. My attitudes, my actions... My time, my money, my sexuality, every aspect of me becomes part of him, and he becomes part of me. And so what I want you to do is I want you to take the second layer of the cup. I kind of love that sound. For those of you at home, you got to hear the sound to be in person. So what I want you to do is I want you to take a look at this juice and I want you to see the word belonging. But then I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself, is this true for me? Do I truly belong to God? I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm not asking you if you uh, believe in a God. I'm not asking you if you're a churchgoer. I'm asking you, does this 
represent the belonging you have in Jesus. Let's take a moment and just allow this to re- time of reflection on the shed blood. Because without this, without the shed blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. There's no forgiveness. Let's take a moment to reflect. He took the cup and he, and he blessed it. He prayed. Let's pray together. Father, this juice represents such a powerful moment when Jesus poured himself out for us. The price that was paid. The shed blood of Jesus that covers us. Father, we thank you for the new covenant that has been sealed by the blood of Jesus. And the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives brings that to bear fruit. And so, Father, I pray today that as we take this juice, that we would see beyond just the the religious part of it, but that we would see the depth of the relationship that brings us to a place of belonging with you. And that as you look at us, you say, she's mine. He's mine. They are mine. He participated with his disciples. Let's do this together in remembrance of what was said for us. I think the only fitting way to close is to express our gratitude together. Ask you to close your eyes and um, just maybe bow your heads if you would. The team and I, we've been praying for this morning and we have been trying to be sensitive to what God might be doing today in this space. And so I just sense that I've been wrestling with this in this last song. Um, If you need prayer right now and you just, you've recognized something is just off, you know, not drastically bad or sinful, but just something is off inside and, and you've just sensed this morning that God's been kind of tugging at you and drawing you in and, and you need prayer and, and you just say, Ron, I, I just want you to pray for me. No, Trust me, no one's looking around and so what I want you to do is just acknowledge, yeah, Ron, can you just pray for me? Even if you just kind of wave at me a little bit or acknowledge that, yeah, I just need some prayer. No one's looking around, so you don't have to worry. No one's going to go after you afterwards. And Yeah, absolutely. There's some people right here. Some of you need prayer. Some of you are putting your hands in the air. God has revealed something to you today. And God is doing business with you. And you just need to surrender it, whatever it is. Anyone else? There's been hands going up. Is there anyone else that just, yeah, absolutely. God, you are doing a work this today. You're doing a powerful work in this space. And even some at home. Some at home would have been putting their hands up if they were in this room and they're doing it right now. 
God, I pray that your spirit would bring courage and power, that these moments that we're asking prayer for would be answered. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's restoration of a relationship. Maybe it's chains of sin that have been gripping someone and they just need these chains broken. Today, God, I pray that you would break those chains. That the hands that have gone up and the hands that have not yet gone up, that you would give us that awareness of what you're doing right now. In so many ways, it's a a posture of surrendering to you. You surrendered everything for us. Jesus, you gave it all. There was nothing left and you gave every bit of yourself for us. How could we hold anything back? God, there's some today that this is all new and they're just trying to sort it out. Father, I pray that you would meet them right where they are and that maybe today was the day that they made that decision, a defining moment with you. Their relationship is redefined right now because of the power of Jesus. And so God, we thank you for what you're doing. We give you the glory for this. Nothing of what we have done, but for you, Jesus. And so, Father, as we, as a church, as we continue to step forward in obedience, may you make our path clear. May you draw more people to yourself through the light that shines through us. Give us opportunity this week as we go to our workplaces, as we go to our places of play, as we stand on the glass watching our kids, may you give us opportunity to speak the truth and the grace of Jesus in a way that comes through the posture of compassion and humility and love. And so we thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. As you leave, Uh, We know that some of you would like some personal prayer. So Amy and I are going to be available to do that right up at the front here. And so please do that if you feel that you need to. Um, Let us know what your name is and what you need prayer for and we'll do that. Also, guys in the room and guys at home, uh, Friday night is guys night. We're going to be hanging out Friday night here at at the central location. Uh, Get your tickets. I believe we're at almost 65 guys already. I think it was the ping pong tournament that did it. Um, or the pulled pork, one or the other. And we've got an eight-person foosball table. And here's the thing. I want you to invite your buddies and your friends. It's going to be a great night. And just hanging out, being guys, doing our thing. We're going to watch a comedian on the screens here on Friday night as well. Thank you for being here. And uh, may God bless you. And may you be aware of his working in your life this week as you go. God bless you. Have a great week.